Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Greeno, and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts, and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello, and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our podcast. Today, our conversation will be with Dr. Pallavi Joshi, a geriatric psychiatrist at Banner Alzheimer's Institute, and we're going to be discussing substance use and dementia. You know, Janice, it probably doesn't come as a surprise that this is kind of a taboo topic, and it's difficult to find information on. Oftentimes we hear substance abuse, substance misuse, substance overuse can cause dementia, but what does that really mean? Are we talking about a certain substance, a certain quantity? Is there a certain age group that we're supposed to be concerned about? I remember when I first moved to Arizona, I was really surprised to learn about this sort of increased substance use in older adults. More specifically, Arizona, we're really well known for these sort of independent living 55 plus retirement communities. And often it becomes a part of someone's daily routine that they just have the happy hour. So we see this increased use of alcohol in, in someone's older adult years. And, you know, sometimes people, sometimes professionals and experts can even be dismissive with questions around substance use, saying things like, well, of course we know, just don't do it. I'm really looking forward to getting some clarification today. For our listeners, Dr. Joshi's name may sound familiar to you. We talked to her back in season three, and she taught us all about nourishment for cognitive wellness. And she just has an amazing way of breaking down complicated subjects and making them understandable. That's so true, Heather. And we are so excited to have Dr. Joshi back with us. And Heather, another thing that I have recently read, the United Health Foundation reported that drug deaths among adults age 65 and older have recently doubled, rising to 8.4 per per every 100,000 people. And since there is such a strong correlation with the risk factors that come with age, because the biggest risk factor for dementia is age, this statistic is so concerning. And I'm definitely looking forward to getting clarification today. Welcome back, Dr. Joshi. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. When we talked to you originally, we learned a little bit more about your background. And so today I'd like to learn what got you interested in substance use in older adults. Yeah, absolutely. Um, When I started residency, it was right in the the, peak of the opioid epidemic. And I was working with so many people with um, substance use disorders. And a lot of these people were also older adults. And I just, um, I was just struck by how the intersectionality of 
uh, being older and having a comorbid substance use disorder can complicate uh, everything, the physical illnesses, the um, mental health, um, the psychosocial burden. But substance use disorders and substance use are identifiable and they're treatable. So even though that, you know, this is a, a big burden to bear. I think learning more about the rec recognizing the signs, the, er the early signs of it, knowing the treatment options available um, and uh, intervening early can change the trajectory of the outcome of substance use disorders amongst older adults. And I'm really excited to learn more about this and the potential treatment and interventions. But before we do that, you have used the term older adult, and Janice said 65 and older in her statistic. Can you tell us what is specifically, when you say older adult, what are you referring to? The, the, you know, the commonly held uh, cutoff for um, what is an older adult in the medical community is age 65 and above. Um, a lot of um, milestones are centered around this age, um, you know, um, Medicare enrollment, things like that. However, that's just one way of looking at who is an older adult. Um, age cutoff is something that we use to streamline things and make things um, uniform. But there's a significant heterogeneity amongst uh, people who are 65 and older depending on their uh, medical and physical health status, their uh, cognitive status, their psychosocial environment and supports. So for example, somebody who is 65 and fit, um, you know, runs marathons, eats a healthy diet, doesn't have any medical issues, takes no prescription medications, their health status uh, may be closer to a 55 year old. And somebody else who's also 65, but has a high uh, number of chronic medical conditions, takes a lot of uh, prescription medications, um, has more physical disability, uh, maybe has cognitive impairment, their health status may be more like a 70 year old. So while, you know, we, well, when we say it's 60, uh, older adult, we have 65 and above in mind, we also have to keep in mind that um, not every 65 year old um, is the same and that there is a lot of variability in this population. Thank you for explaining that. That was such a thorough explanation. And it brings up another question. I've heard you use the word substance use disorder, but typically out in the community, I'll hear people say substance abuse. Can you tell me what is substance use disorder? The substance use disorder is the diagnostic term um, that's um, established by uh, the American Psychiatric Association and the medical community in order to describe somebody who has social and occupational impairments due to the substance that they are using. So this is really the key. The key between substance use and use disorder is the social and occupational impairment that because 
directly related to the substance. People are not able to follow through on going to work, um, keeping up with their social obligations, keeping up with their um, you know, IADLs at home for again to pay bills because of substance use um, directly, um, you know, losing uh, family and friends in their lives because of things that have happened uh, because of their substance use, either things that happened when they were intoxicated or, um, you know, things that that may have happened um, indirectly as a, as a way to get substances. Um, so the substance use disorder is not based on a, on a specific amount of substance use or a specific frequency. A, a smaller amount of use may cause social and occupational impairment in one person, and it may not cause it in another. The bottom line is when the substance becomes a problem, it becomes a substance use disorder. Thank you for helping us distinguish between those terms, because as Jana said, I feel like the common one is substance abuse or substance misuse. So it's helpful to have that clarification. One other clarification that I'd like to ask you is, why are we having this conversation? I know Janice shared kind of that startling statistic about the increase in um, drug deaths in older adults, um, but you say there's sort of generational attitudes at play as well. Absolutely. So substance use in older adults, and now I am using the 65 plus time, um, is not uncommon. So in the uh, National Survey of Drug Use in Households, it reported um, that 4.7 million adults aged 65 years and older met criteria for a past year substance use disorder in 2019. And uh, people don't just stop using substances just because they turn 65 or just because they're older. So a lot of people who have higher substance use earlier in life will continue the same substance use patterns later in life. The second thing um, is that, you know, people often ask, well, are we seeing more substance use now just because we're looking for it or has the rate really gone up? And the answer is it has truly gone up. The um, increase in substance use disorder um, in the current cohort of older adults is driven in part by the baby boomer generation. A lot of these generational attitudes include um, you know, an increased desire for personal gratification, a greater acceptance of drug use, and also more permissive attitudes towards drugs and a higher um, exposure to, drug, uh, to drugs when they were younger. And finally, they're living longer. So the, there's increased life expectancy, which allows older adults to use substances for longer. And also this is a higher population number of older adults compared to previous cohort. So the number of people using substances is going up in part because the number of people over 65 is greater than we've ever had. When we think about substance use, and our topic is dementia untangled. Here's my question. I've been asked this before. Can substance use cause dementia? And if so, why is that? So there are several substances um, that are associated with 
detrimental effects on cognition and uh, neurodegenerative changes in the brain. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, usually the amount of the substance used, the frequency of the substance use and the chronicity, so how long they've been using for, all has an impact on the detrimental effects of its use. And um, alcohol, for example, is notorious for causing changes in the mammillary bodies, which are a subcortical structure in the brain that is responsible for memory. And it's responsible for a different type of memory uh, than uh, the memory loss in Alzheimer's disease. Um, and the structure is also different than the hippocampal structure, which is implicated in Alzheimer's disease. But nevertheless, the um, impact of long-term heavy drinking does cause these structures to start to shrink and degenerate, um, as well as cortex to start shrinking and degenerating um, and causes memory loss, which is progressive, similar but not identical to the progressive nature of memory loss in Alzheimer's disease. You know, Dr. Joshi, this makes me wonder, hearing about different substances and then hearing about alcohol as well, do all drugs affect memory? Well, there's a substantial heterogeneity with, you know, how drugs impact memory. In general, the, the, the drugs that we have strong evidence for impacting memory are, are alcohol, is really alcohol. Now, there are other drugs that cause um, time-limited memory changes because of intoxication. So opioids or uh, marijuana may cause uh, memory impairment during the time a person is intoxicated. So if they're intoxicated um, during that time, they may be presenting as having memory loss, but really are because, but, but they're really actually intoxicated. There's still a lot, you know, there's still not a lot of research out there on uh, strong evidence of what exactly the dose or frequency is of um, permissible cannabis use, for example, and, you know, and, and, um, uh, and what, and whether that would impact um, memory loss after somebody stops using it. And then there are so many different legal drugs. Are there legal drugs that can have negative effects on the brain? But like maybe treatments for depression or anxiety or other prescription drugs? It's a good question. Those legal drugs are the bane of my existence. Mm. <laughs> And also, you know, uh, so the, the biggest offenders in this category are um, anticholinergic medications. And a lot of over-the-counter fall into this category. All this, all the sleep aids, over-the-counter sleep aids, Z-Quil, NyQuil, um, prescription sleep aids, Ambien, Lunesta, um, some allergy medications. Um, Hydroxyzine, which is very commonly uh, prescribed um, for um, you know, uh, symptomatic treatment of anxiety. It's commonly prescribed for uh, itching um, and um, Benadryl, cough syrup. All of these are commonly prescribed or commonly used over-the-counter medications that impact memory by acting on the Colin, uh, the acetylcholinesterase system. 
this is the same system, this is the same neurotransmitter that is implicated in Alzheimer's disease. So um, by acting on this neurotransmitter system, these drugs cause confusion and memory loss because this neurotransmitter is so strongly implicated in memory. You had asked about uh, you know, medications for depression and anxiety. I think that is, um, that is more of a gray answer. There are certainly some medications that are used for um, depression and anxiety and other mood disorders that have the potential to cause some memory changes, you know, such as changes in processing speed, changes in um, reaction time. They may not necessarily cause memory changes as in the inability to form new memories. I think the answer here is a little bit more great because untreated depression and anxiety also cause memory loss. They also cause changes in processing speed and attention and reaction time. And so here I would really advise somebody who is, if, if they're experiencing um, cognitive changes with a prescribed medication for depression or anxiety to have a conversation with um, their physician on the risk benefit of this because the risk of untreated depression or anxiety may be greater. And this is an opportunity for them to explore with their physician if there are other alternatives to this medication that may uh, control their symptoms and have a, a less detrimental impact on their cognition. That's so interesting. It seems like much of what we talk about with dementia and, and really even the brain in general, it's a lot of this weighing the options, looking at the risks versus the benefits and, and making a personal decision on what's going to work best for you. I have been thinking too, you touched a little bit on alcohol use and it's sort of detrimental effect to the brain. I hear mixed messages with it as well. You know, women can have one glass of wine a night, men can have two glasses a night. Could you share with our listener, what are the current guidelines? And I mean, really, for that matter, what's a drink? That's a great question. And I think defining a drink is the first step to it. Um, a standard drink is defined as an alcoholic drink that has 14 um, grams of ethanol in it. Now, what does that mean? It means either 12 ounces of a standard beer, 5% beer, or a five ounce pour of table wine, or a one and a half um, ounce of hard liquor. So that's, that's what a standard drink is. So if somebody's drinking those, um, those wine o'clock glasses that hold a liter of wine, that's not one drink, that's more like four drinks. And uh, the current AMA guidelines, the American Medical Association guidelines for healthy alcohol use is um, up to 14 drinks a week for men and up to seven drinks a week for women. Now, again, this is, this is a guideline and certainly there are uh, physical variabilities between you know, men and women. So these guidelines are different because women tend to have lower body, uh, higher body fat and lower body mass and uh, the cutoff is lower, but certainly they're, um, you know, not all women and not all men are the same size either. So I think these are just guidelines to keep in mind, but there may be some people for whom that seven drinks a week is a lot. Some people may have lower tolerance. Um, and there may be some people, some men for whom 14 drinks a week is a lot. 
But in general, going over that is, it's considered to have detrimental effects on not just cognition, but other outcomes of health. And our, our goal is healthy outcomes. When you talk about these detrimental impacts, would you share a little about alcohol-induced dementia? I think a lot of times people, uh, when alcohol and, um, and dementia come to recognition or come to, um, you know, come to concern, it comes in the context of intoxication. So, um, you know, it, I think it takes a long time for the alcohol to have a neurodegenerative and not irreversible impact on cognition. Usually when, when family members show concern or when um, people start to get concerned, it's in the context of intoxication. So basically that people are um, drinking alcohol or using another substance, getting intoxicated and during that intoxication, um, doing things that are bringing physical or uh, financial or social risk to them. So, um, and this is a pattern that is seen in, in substance use that people similar to uh, the impairment that we see in dementia, people who have um, substance use disorders have similar impairment such as failure to pay bills or uh, physical injury, driving accidents. And these are you know, during the time that they're intoxicated the difference is that in this case, the offender, which is the substance, can be removed. And when that substance is removed, that impairment goes away. Dr. Joshi, I'm, I'm curious to learn, are the effects of substance-induced memory loss reversible? Yeah, so it takes a long time for irreversible memory loss uh, from substances to start happening. So the earlier the substance use is recognized and the earlier it's treated, the more likely it is that somebody would, would not have permanent damage from the substance. In the case of early substance use, um, you know, most of the impairment is happening because somebody is either intoxicated or in withdrawal. So once they're treated from the substance use, um, especially in the early stages, most people will, will revert to their uh, previous level of cognition. I can only imagine how difficult that is to discern between substance use and dementia. And how do you, as a family member, seek out and find a discernment and how difficult is that for someone like you? That's a good question. It's very challenging. And, and that's partly why we're having this conversation. Right. It is, it is difficult to recognize and it is under-recognized. So um, recognizing um, substance use in, um, in older adults and and or people with cognitive impairments is especially challenging because some of the symptoms of substance intoxication, such as um, impaired cognition, um, physical impairments, uh, restricted mobility, they uh, may be misconstrued by, uh, by family members or providers as um, signs of aging. So you know, somebody uh, brings in a loved one because they're concerned about a higher frequency of falls. The medical team may be tempted to do a uh, neurological workup 
thinking that this is a uh, age-related or neurological, you know, uh, neurological condition that's impacting their gait and not that it is substance use. If somebody brings in a loved one concerned about memory loss, again, they may be worked up for dementia and not worked up for substance use. And I think there's also, um, you know, um, ageist beliefs among providers that older people don't use substances. And uh, a lot of providers don't ask older adults about substance use, sometimes because um, of the fear of embarrassing an older adult by asking about substance use, or um, because of their own embarrassment about asking about um, substances. Dr. Joshi, we've spent a lot of our time today talking about substance use leading to dementia, but I'm curious for people who already have dementia, are they more likely to misuse substances? We mentioned, you mentioned, you know, some of the symptoms being like memory loss. Do they remember that they had their one drink of wine or are they going back repeatedly because of the memory loss? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, dementia is a, it's a cognitive spectrum. And so in the very mild stages or very early stages of dementia, people may not, um, you know, they, they, they're, um, recall of the um, substance may not be impacted as much, but as the memory loss progresses, certainly. I, we see this with medication management that people often forget that they've taken a medication and double up on it. And it can be the same with substance use that they forget that they've already had, you know, they may say, well, I only drink one drink a day, but they may forget that they've already had that one drink and end up doubling up on that one drink. And for somebody who already has cognitive impairment, the brain is less resilient to the effects of substances. And so that's that one drink may actually end up feeling like two. And so they're, you know, using more substances because they're forgetting that they already had a substance, the higher number of substance, uh, the higher amount of substance consumption combined with the brain's decreased resilience towards the substance really compounds its effect on the brain. And now for hope. What kind of treatments are available for substance use disorder? Absolutely. So treatment starts with recognition and diagnosis. And I think the first thing that we need to do is start being more aware of the the fact that older adults do use substances, that people with cognitive impairment do use substances, and uh, recognizing that we are not asking enough about this and offering um, treatment enough. Um, but the but you know data has shown that there is absolutely no reason that people are uh, that older adults are not able to engage in substance use treatment or care. There is absolutely no evidence to suggest that they are not open to it. In fact, um, interventions such as screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment in which a uh, provider, which you know, doesn't necessarily have to be an addiction specialist or a geriatric psychiatrist, can be any medical provider, um, screens somebody for substance use, approaches the issue with them and gives them a brief referral to treatment. Um, this has shown to be just as effective among older adults as it has been to be among younger adults. Once engaged in substance use treatment, older adults are just as likely to, to complete the treatment and benefit from the treatment as younger adults. Even for those who have cognitive impairment, substance use treatment 
may need to be modified, but is not impossible or not worth pursuing. So they may need more structure, um, external structure and external supports if they can't remember, um, you know, how much they're consuming. So they may need to start off in a more supportive environment like an inpatient rehab. They may need a higher frequency of um, AA meetings to um, keep that engagement and motivation going. They may need family members to step in a little more, bit more and uh, you know, um, remove um, alcohol or substances from the home and check in now and then to make sure those substances aren't around. Um, so they may need more supports from the medical services and uh, their family in order to make sure that they can maintain their sobriety, but it's not undoable. And um, there is significant benefit to achieving, uh, to, you know, ach achieving um, sobriety after, uh, even after there's cognitive impairment. Abstinence is, you know, abstinence is one goal of substance use treatment, but even people who weren't able to achieve full abstinence um, even people who are able to reduce, to do a harm reduction approach, which is decreasing the quantity or frequency of the substance they were consuming, or um, had periods of sobriety between relapses, their outcomes were still better than those who never attempted um, substance use treatment at all. This has been such an enlightening conversation before we close today, could you give us your final thought when it comes to substance use and dementia? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I think my takeaway is that um, substance use is not uncommon in older adults. It's not common in dementia. And, uh, you know, um, now that we are able to recognize uh, some of the signs of it and recognize that it can be treated and should be treated, um, I'm hoping that, you know, um, providers will be more, more open about offering this to people. Today, our conversation has been with Dr. Pallavi Joshi, a geriatric psychiatrist at Banner Alzheimer's Institute. We appreciate you helping us untangle substance use and dementia. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Joshi. It's been wonderful having you on the podcast again today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And thank you, Heather, for another great conversation. And thank you, Amber, for all you do behind the scenes, producing and editing this podcast. And most of all, thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com. Mm -hmm.